Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast, and thanks for joining us for this episode. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoy this content, please don't hesitate to leave us a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends. We'd like to extend an invitation to you and your family to join us for worship this week at Grace Baptist Church. We'd also love to connect with you online at gracekettering.org. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy the episode. Mark chapter number 12 and verse number 28. Let's stand and read this together. And uh, then we're going to jump into this, this subject of loving from the inside out. And uh, along with our theme and grateful to be able to take time together in this. Mark chapter number 12 and verse number 28. And one of the scribes came and having heard them reasoning together and perceiving that he had an answer, uh, answered them well, asked him, Jesus, which, which is the first commandment of all? So which is the greatest commandment? And Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, hear, O Lord, or hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said unto him, Well said, Master. Thou hast said the truth. Now I want you to Circle that in your mind, because here we have one of the scribes saying that Jesus was spot on. That didn't happen very often, but it happened here. He couldn't argue with this. Well, um, well Master, thou hast said the truth, for there is one God, and there is none other but he. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the soul, and with all the strength, and to love his neighbor as himself, is more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he had answered discreetly, he said unto him, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God. And no man after that durst ask him any question. He said, You're not far from believing you're not far from having eternal life. Let's ask God to bless our time. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for this simple command. And oh, that you would help us, help me, help us as a church family to love you and to grow in our love, more love to thee, O oh Christ. And help us to grow in our love towards one another. Help us to understand what that truly means. And pray that you would grow us. And in this year, we're asking you to help us to live out our relationship with you to be in that satisfied place of a relationship with you, knowing you on a daily basis and living that out to all around us. So I pray that you grow us in this, this way in the area of loving you and loving others. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's be seated. So there's 613 laws in the Old Testament that the people of Israel were responsible to live, to obey. It's a lot of laws. That's a lot of things to keep track of. If you could just boil all that down into, into a couple laws, it would be very, very helpful. Now, there's 365 negative commands or things not to do. There were 248 positive commands, what we ought to do. And so when you hear in our day where there should be no negativity or no uh, saying words no in your parenting or in school or whatever, that's not a biblical concept. God oftentimes says, thou shalt not. And then he says, thou shalt love. So he says many things that we're not to do, and he says many things that we are to do. So discussing these, um, these commands and which is the greatest command was oftentimes a favorite pastime of the religious community. You hear here that there is a conversation that Jesus is nearby, and the scribes are, are, are having a conversation. They're there talking. This one scribe has this intrigue. I'm going to ask Jesus what his opinion on this matter is. And by the way, uh, even though there were many unbelieving scribes and Pharisees, even as we heard this morning about the, um, the Pharisees standing on the, pre on the street corner, they're praying, they're blowing their trumpets, saying, look at me, they're doing it for the praise of men, for the, for the accolades of men. Here's a scribe that was doing the right thing, and he was asking Jesus' opinion on the matter. The reality is that we ought to be doing that every single day. 
We need to be asking Jesus, what do you have to say? What is the greatest thing that I should be doing today? And we do that as we come to his word and as we pray. So here the scribe is asking Jesus, give me your opinion. What is the greatest command of all time? Of all the 613, what is the greatest command? By the way, in that day, the Pharisees had added on many other commands and traditions. So this became an an increasingly heavy burden upon the people. So when, when you're, we're all simple at heart, right? I mean, there's, we all are different IQ levels here, but the, the reality is we need simplicity. Simplicity is important. And so they're asking, what is, the, what is the greatest? Tell us what it is. Boil it down for us, Master. And so he came asking him this question, and he was, he was wanting to know what is it. And his response also indicates that he was actually open to hearing what Jesus had to say. And he could not argue with what Jesus had to say because it was founded in the word. And by the way, our authority comes from the word of God. You and I do not go out into the world to preach the gospel or declare truth apart from the authority of the word of God. And when we veer from that authority, that's when we get into um, uh, gray waters. That's when we get into troubled seas because we aren't aren't just giving our opinion. We must be founding on the word of God. And uh, when God's word is there, it can act in power by the Holy Spirit. And so we want to see here today that God commands us through these commands to love him radically, to love him very distinctly, to love him and our neighbors with passionate, sacrificial, ever-growing love. And notice, first of all, in verse number 28, notice how that God first says that this love is demonstrated. Jesus said the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. What does that have to do with this command to love? Why do we need to focus on God? Well, I want us to realize, first of all, the Lord brings us to the reality that we have a loving creator. We have a creator who is to be adored, who is to be worshipped, who is to be uh, uh, praised even in this place, even as we sang this morning, praise him, praise him, Jesus, our blessed redeemer. We have a loving creator. Think back to the garden. Think back to chapter number one. Think back to chapter number two of Genesis, and we get the picture very, very quickly that God loved his creation and demonstrated that love there. He provided in Genesis 1 and verse 28, he provided a purpose in life for Adam. All of us want purpose. A purposeless life is a very, very miserable life. Why am I here? People are always asking. And purpose is important to our existence. Purpose is important to our life. And so he provided right off the get-go, he provides to Adam, here's a purpose for you. You have some work to do. I have a purpose. Fellowship with me, but I want you to name the animals. I want, you, I want to give you something to do. Uh, he gave them good food in the garden in Genesis 1 and verse number 29. Food is important to life, isn't it? Now, we don't know much about hunger here in the United States. There are people that do know hunger even within our city, and it's a sad thing. It's one of the reasons that we uh, uh, quickly on Wednesday nights began to add food into the, the ministry um, to the kids. It's not every day. Wish we could, but sometimes we'd find that kids were coming to uh, a Wednesday night, coming in on the bus, and they were hungry. And so that's, that is the whole reason we started the Wednesday night meal. And yes, it brings an extra expense, and yes, it takes extra labor, and I thank God for those that come alongside and are part of that. But the purpose was to try to help with that. But God, right in the, in the get-go, said, hey, there's good food. All these trees in the garden, not that one, but every other tree in the garden, you can eat, and you can enjoy. You can eat this, and we see, we see the love of God. There's a sign over in the kitchen that the way uh, to a person's heart is, uh, is through their belly. And, and there's a lot of truth in that. Moms understand that. And you guys that can cook, you understand that you can, you can do a lot through the ministry of food. And God loved his own creation in that way. And Genesis 2 and verse number 7, a living soul intended for eternal fellowship with God. He breathed into man the breath of life. And man became a living soul. An eternal soul, not just to meander through the earth for all time, but to have fellowship with God. And God knew that his creation would need that, and he created us for a relationship. He loved us so much, he created us, and he wanted us to have a relationship with him. He gave him a beautiful garden in Genesis 2 and verse number 8. Beautiful garden. I, even as I look now, I can see the snow still falling. And as we drove in this morning, the snow is falling. That is God's creation. 
there is a picture of his love for us that even in a fallen world, we still get to enjoy beauty. One of the things Brother Jonathan said, he says, you're going to enjoy the scenes down here in Grenada. It's just beautiful, God's creation. When we get to walk in the park or walk by a river, my favorite, as I said last week, was riversides in the mountains. What a beautiful thing. We enjoy that. That's a picture of God's love, a token of God's love. Uh, God warned Adam and Eve of separation, separation from him. In Genesis 2 and verse number 16, he says, In the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. You'll be separated from me spiritually, and one day you'll, you'll be separated from me for all of eternity if you eat of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he warned of the boundary. Aren't you thankful for your parents who warned of boundaries? We as parents have to warn of boundaries. That stove is hot. The road, the road will bring death to your life. If you run across the road, you have to look both ways, but don't go into the road without me. And we warn of danger. And God warned them of danger in Genesis 2 and verse number 16. He set up boundaries. Don't go there. Boundaries aren't a bad thing. Yet so often in our rebellious hearts, we resist and, and, and push back and bristle against boundaries. But God set up those boundaries in a perfect environment for his creation as a token of love. I'm still thankful today that God's given us the boundaries of the commandments. He's given us the boundaries of his word. Don't go there. Don't allow bitterness to, to grow in your heart. It's going to ruin you. Many are going to be defiled. That's not God saying he doesn't like you. That's God saying, I love you so much, I'm telling you, don't let bitterness to grow in your heart. It's going to hurt you very, very bad. And so there's boundaries. He gave a companion for life in Genesis 2 and verse 18. He gave to Adam a, a help meet for him or fit for him, made perfectly for him. And God still does that today. And it's a, it, the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, he that findeth a wife findeth a good thing and obtaineth favor of the Lord. He talks about uh, the, the, the fruit of the womb being his reward. And, and so God gave this, this companion for life, this special help me, providing for the needs of Adam even before he asks. He's going around and saying there's a Mr. Dog and there's a Mrs. Dog. There's a Mr. Rhinoceros and a Mrs. Rhinoceros, but there's no Mrs. Adam. And God gives to him, puts him out, Puts them out cold. Knocks them out cold. Best anesthetic ever. Does operation on them. Takes a rib out and makes woman a very good thing. And God blessed Adam with that. So I just want us to understand that right from the get-go, God is pouring on his love upon creation. And when, when Jesus says to this scribe and to those that were listening, here's how we start out. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. I want to bring us back to who God is. He's Lord. He's creator. He's the one who is the reason for all things. We understand as God immediately demonstrates love to his creation, sin enters the picture, and ominous sounds, ominous tones sound, but God continues to love. We find a loving Savior, not just a creator, who came into the world, uh, who created everything and showered his love upon us as a creation. But when creation strayed from him, when Eve ate of the fruit, when sin entered into the picture, as by one man, sin entered the world, and death by sin, so that death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Romans 5 and verse 12. When sin entered the picture, immediately God says, I'm going to send a Savior. I'm going to love you so much, I'm going to send a Savior. Genesis 3 and verse number 9, And the Lord God called unto Adam and said, Where art thou? Where art thou? Now, it's really easy in relationships to, to turn the other way and to, and, and to blow up a relationship and run the other way. But you know what? God, when he was offended, he did not allow that relationship to just go that way. He came looking. He came looking. Now, in the humanity, there's sometimes you can't do anything about it. You can't force, you can't force a relationship. But God came looking. God wants that. And we ought to model God in that way. Where art thou? And notice in Genesis 3 and verse number 15, it says this, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman. Talking about Satan. <laughs> Any ladies like snakes here? No? Interesting. And thy seed, and between thy seed and her seed, enmity, a struggle between those that follow you and those that 
follow me. Between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. It's interesting that when Jesus went to the cross, he died, but he rose again. But Satan on that day was rendered a fatal blow, a blow to his head. And the Bible uses that language later on. And uh, the Bible says that for this reason was the Son of Man made manifest, that he might destroy the works of the devil, that he might render them inoperable. And while we see Satan continuing to fester and, and, and bluster and do all sorts of things, he is on a leash and he's under the control of God, and his day is coming, read Revelation, he will be put into the, 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 the bottomless pit during the thousand-year uh, thousand reign, but later on, he will be put in hell forever and ever. He will be, uh, get his just reward. And the reality is that we are told right in the first uh, chapters of the Bible that a loving Savior is coming, Galatians 4 and verse number 4, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, Romans 5, 8, but God commended, showed his love toward us in that while he was yet, uh, that we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And the loving Savior that we see coming for us, he put on that crown, or they put upon that, his head that crown of thorns, three nails in his hands and his feet. But just remember, all of that equals this amazing love. What love is this? The Bible says in, Genesis, uh, in John chapter 15, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friend. But the Bible tells us that we were estranged from God. We were enemies of God before Jesus Christ. And yet he still laid his, uh, down his life for us. What love is this? What an amazing love. Love found a way to redeem my soul, the songwriter says. Love found a way that could make me whole. Love sent my Lord to the cross of shame. Love found a way. Oh, praise his holy name. Praise his holy name. Could we with ink the ocean fill? And were the skies of parchment made, were every stalk on earth a quill, and every scribe, a tr uh, every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the oceans dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. Listen, we can't enumerate, we can't describe the love of God enough. His love for us is immeasurable, Romans chapter 8 tells us. We can't measure its height, its depth, it's beyond our measurement. And it is there, it's a constant. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation, shall distress, shall famine? No. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. What a loving Savior. And the basis for our love for God is who God is. A loving creator who created us, gave us all that we needed for life and for godliness. When we strayed from him, he gave us a loving Savior who went and took our penalty in our place. What love is this? And the way that we can love God is simply by looking at God. And he's given us the example of what love truly is. The Bible says in 1 John 4 and verse number 16, And we have known and believed that the love that God hath to us, God is love. 1 John 4, 19, We love him because he first loved us. Let's say that together. We loved him because he first loved us. What a great God we serve. He demonstrated love to us. He demonstrated it. But then he commands us love. He commands. He calls us. He calls us. It's, it's more than an invitation. He urges us to love him. Now, God can't force us to love him. He's given us a free will. But he has commanded us to love him. And thou shalt love the Lord based on who God is. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Hear, O Israel. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength. This is the first. This is the greatest commandment. So this statement would have been quoted by the Jewish people morning and evening. Those that were practicing and following after God, they would, they would be quoting this. I want you to turn back to Deuteronomy chapter number 6 and verse number 4. 
Deuteronomy chapter number 6 and verse number 4. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy chapter number 6 and verse number 4. And I want us to see this. Jesus is quoting scripture to us, something that that scribe and those listening would understand very well. The Bible says here, Deuteronomy 6 and verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Notice the capitalization. He's ever-present. He's a self-existent one. He's Jehovah. He's one Lord. We don't, we don't, we aren't polytheists. We are mono, monotheist. We believe in one God. Three persons, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, but one God. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thy hand, and they shall be as, as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house and on thy gates. And it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not, and, that, and houses full of good things which thou fillest not, wells dig which thou diggest not, vineyards and olive trees which thou plantest not, when thou shalt have eaten and be full. See the love of God here? Then beware, then beware, lest thou forget the Lord which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt and from the house of bondage and thou shalt fear the lord thy god and serve him and swear and thou uh, shalt swear by his name and you shall not go after other gods of uh, uh, other gods of the gods of the people which are around about you for the lord thy god is a jealous god among you now these are what they would repeat on a daily basis especially four through five but this was all part of the same exhortation listen I'm one God. You're to worship me. You're to love me. When I give you and bless you, don't forget me. Now, how easy is it for us to do that? Prosperity oftentimes breeds apathy. And we are living in that in our own country. And though the times are getting a little bit more difficult, inflation is there, and we call upon the name of the Lord more. But remember Laodicea? We're rich, increased with goods, and have need of nothing. May God help us to not fall into that trap. To not look at all the blessings and say, hey, we, we're good on our own. Now the humanists try to do that. We're good without God, but we are not good without God. And we have desperate needs today as we sit here. We need to love him more. He commanded them to do that, and he warned them of what would happen if they began to love the prosperity, love the blessings more than the blesser. Now, this was called the Shema, and if you have ever visited a Jewish household, you might, you might notice on the front door, you might notice a little um, golden or silver or jeweled um, uh, piece nailed to the, onto the doorpost. And they have this, many Jewish doors, practicing Jewish doors still today, they, they have this little piece there with this, this written in it. Uh, they took this very literally. And in that, in that day, they would have continued to pray morning and evening over this. And you hear the Son of God saying, hey, this is truth. You are to love God. This is the greatest commandment. And friends, that greatest commandment that was given to Israel, and that exhortation given to Israel is still for us today. We need to constantly be reminding ourselves morning and the evening, reminding our families, let's love God. Let's love God. If we love God, it changes everything else. If we love God, it changes how we interact with his commandments. So love the Lord thy God. Don't forget him. Now, we should note that this is a love that God calls upon us to do willingly. He says, thou shalt love the Lord thy God. This is an active thing. This is something we have to make a choice. When there's a command, there's a choice. 
We aren't just robots that God created. When there's a command, He's also given us a choice to do so. Now, the choice not to do so uh, brings consequence, brings chastening. Why? Because a loving parent is going to draw a child away from danger. Listen, you don't go in the road anymore. If you go into the road, you're going to be in trouble. You do that, you're going to be in trouble. God, many times, it says, if you do this, you're going to be in trouble. Why? Because I love you. And he's commanding us to love him, to have great affection for him, to be loyal towards him, to cherish him. That word cherish isn't something that we use very often. But it describes it well, to cherish him, to cherish God, to just be so satisfied with him. Now, love is a choice. Love is a choice. We hear a lot about in our day of falling in love and the emotional side of, of love. Like you're just walking along someday and you fell into love. Like, but love, you choose to love somebody. Emotions can be there, but what our world calls love is not always love. Many times what our world calls love is very, very self-centered. And do you know the Bible tells us in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8, we're to beware lest we be spoiled by the vain deceits and the philosophies of this world, the rudiments of this world. And I see even coming into the church, and this is, this is something you that are older than me can, uh, can, can testify to much more than me. But the reality of the world's view of love, loving one another, sometimes is just based on our own selfish motives. As long as you give me what I want, I'll love you. That's not love. Love is a, a choice, and love is always going to be governed by truth. That's why the Bible says, speak the truth in love. It's always going to be governed by truth. Jesus was full of grace and truth. Always in balance. God is always in balance. Uh, think about this. In our world today, you hear, God is a loving God, so he will not send anyone to hell. Well, number one, God does not send anyone to hell. People choose to go there. They choose to reject his love. But the fact is, a loving God is governed by truth, his holiness. These work in perfect tandem. His love sent his son to die on the cross. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The truth side is, we're all sinners. The wages of sin is death. Notice right in this verse, Romans 6, uh, 3 and verse number 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Death and love, right there. Truth and love. And so they're working perfect tandem. And so it's a choice that we have between loving God or loving this world. The, the Bible says in 1 John 2 and 15, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Wow. It's a choice that we have to make. God's not going to coerce us into loving him, but he calls us to willingly love him to respond back to him. This is his command. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. Thou shalt love him. So what's our response? Is it willing love? Is it, yes, I want to love you? And there's much reason to love him. Reading through the Bible, there's so much reason to love him. He is altogether lovely. You read through the Song of uh, Solomon, which is a book of picturing marriage, but it's ultimately picturing the relationship of Christ and his church. It's a beautiful, does God, does God love marital love? Yes, he wrote a whole book in the Bible about it. There's a whole book in the Bible that speaks to that. But it's a greater picture of that relationship of Christ and his church. There's so much reason to love him. He is all together lovely. It is to be whole love, not just willing love. Look at verse 30 again. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with thy heart, soul, mind, and strength, is Mark says here. Love for God is to come from the inside out. I love this. It goes right along with our, our theme. Everything that God wants us to do is, is, is from our relationship with him and then out. But it starts in our relationship with him. He says, love me. He doesn't start with saying, love your neighbor. If he started with that, how do we know how to love our neighbor? Think about this in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. What's the rest of the verse? even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. He doesn't say just love your wives. 
We'd have no, no context, no, no measurement for how that is to look. But we can look at him and say, ah, that's how love looks. You gave yourself at the cross, so that's how I am to give myself for my wife. He brings us back to himself. We are to love God, and, and this love is to come from the inside out. Fake love. Insincere love uh, can be put on by, by individuals for a while. But true, sacrificial, Christ-like love it has to be sincere. It has to come from a heart. It has to come from a relationship that knows the love of God. It has to come from a heart that, that understands, God has loved me this much, and therefore I can love others. And so it comes from the inside out. Now, I want us to notice these words that Jesus uses. He, he, he goes to great extent here to speak exactly how this love ought to come. It is to come, first of all, from your heart. It is to be there in your heart. You are to love God in your heart, in the inner you, uh, it, where your emotions are, where your will is made up. You are to, uh, with the inside of you, that, that part that is not seen with, your, with all of your leanings and your bents, you are to love God. You are to love God right there. The Bible says in Matthew 15 and verse 8, this people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth. And honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Now that was often a problem with the, the people of Israel. And if we're really honest, that's often a problem in our hearts, in our lives. We can say things, we can say we love Jesus, but there's a test to that, and we'll get to that in a moment. And Jesus pointed out, you all, you say you love God, but it's not in your heart. It's just lip service. Oh, that God would help us not to fall into that same, uh, same trap. Oh, that the Lord would help us to love him from the heart. Listen, the most important thing as we begin this year of 2023 and as we, as we allow the Lord to build us on this whole idea of inside out, living out our relationship with Christ, we must take care of our personal relationship with God every single day. I have to do that. And I need to do that. And without that, we're, we're really in bad, bad straits. We're in bad position. We can't love. We can't minister. We can't give out John and Romans. We can't serve in a nursery. We can't feed, feed the children on Wednesday night. We can't sing. We can't do anything without this being right. So may the Lord help us in this area specifically about love, loving him from the heart. But then he says the soul. See, there's a progression. It, it's kind of stacking here, if you will. There's a, a, a progression here. It's coming from the inside out, the soul, that eternal part of you, uh, that, that part that is going to live with God for all of eternity. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be, what? Present with the Lord. To be present with the Lord. What a good thing that that is. And so on uh, this soul, we are to love him with our very soul. The greatest love we can show back to God is to respond to his love and accept Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. Say, yes, I accept that. I'm not good enough. I'm not going to hold on to my self-righteousness. I accept what Jesus did in behalf of me. And so we are to love him in our soul, with all of our soul. We're to love him with all of our mind, every thought. Now think about that. If I don't love him in my emotions, and my will, my bent and leanings, and my heart, it's hard for me to love him with my soul, and certainly going to be hard for, him to, uh, hard for me to love him with my mind. Now this is convicting to me because so many times the turmoil happens in our minds. Uh, what we want from God, what we want from others, you know, my day's messed up, and so we, we have all these thoughts. How could God do this to me, Right? And sometimes we don't love him with our mind like we ought to. We don't think thoughts of, of love towards him. We, we worry rather than trust in him. We get anxious rather than casting our burdens upon him. We allow our, our minds to be filled with thoughts of the world. The Bible says in Philippians 4 and verse number 8, we're to think on things that are true. Things that honor God. Things that are praiseworthy and full of virtue. And yet in our minds so many times we can dishonor God and not love Him because we're, we're, we're thinking things that are contrary to Him and His Word. We are to love Him with all of our mind. Yes, what happens inside of our mind matters. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. As a man thinks, 
it eventually comes out. Mark specifically adds this as he listened to Christ that day. Jesus said, and with all your strength, with all your strength, our body, everything that's available to us, our energy, our time, our talents, our resources, everything that's available to us, we are to love God with all of our strength. You see, it's from the inside out, the heart, soul, mind, and strength. From internal, what no one sees, to what I do in my life with my money, what I do in my life with my actions and my time, with my talents, everything it ought to build from the inside out. And friends, may we allow God to do that in our hearts. May it be the prayer of our heart, Lord, I'm not, I'm not interested in just showing off for you. I'm not just interested in showing love for you being like the Pharisee standing at the street corner. I'm not interested in that. I, I want, if no one ever sees my love, I, I want it to be so real and ablazing right here. I want it to be real on the inside. And by the way, if it is ablaze there, it will be ablaze there. It'll come out. It's very hard for a person that loves someone or something for them not to talk about it, not to give energy to, right? Have you experienced that in life? For me, it's uh, it, 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 there's things in my life that I love. I love my wife, and so I, I get to talk, uh, talk about her. I love my children. I get to talk about them. I love the ministry. I get to talk about it. I love coffee. I get to talk about it, right? You know, I enjoy, I enjoy a, a good conversation around, you know, different roasts of coffee and, and, and so forth, where, where a good cup of coffee is, right? We, we talk about what we love. You, you may love sports, and so you talk about it. Hey, my team's playing. They won. Here, I'm wearing the color. We talk about what we love. It comes out. And so the most important thing for us to love is our God. And it will come out. It will come out. Now, our obedience is the test of our love. How, how do you and I know that we're actually loving God? It's in our obedience to his word. And the Bible says this, if you love me, John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. Well, that's just so restrictive. That's so legalistic. No, it's not. If you love me, demonstrate it. I've given you my truth. I've given you a path to walk on. I told you not to lean to your own understandings, but to trust me. I've given you my word. Thy, lamp, uh, thy uh, word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my, uh, my path. I've given you this. Now walk in it. Show me you love me by just simply following my word. Now, when I obey, I love. And when I disobey, I do not love. So if I love God, in that moment when I'm, um, when I'm posed with a temptation, temptation's not sin, yielding to it is, when I'm posed with that temptation, I choose to love God by saying yes to his word, his truth, and his command, and no to Satan. Now think about that. What, what a difference that would have made in the garden with Eve. No, I love God. I'm not going to question his word. I'm going to honor his word in this moment. Satan, I'm not interested in your fruit. I'm not interested in your spin. Now, we, that's where the rubber meets the road for us. Because we can say, oh, how I love Jesus, but if we are actively disobeying his word, we're not loving him. And so I even, even now, as I, as I say that, Lord, help us to be real in our love to you by obeying your commands. Every day as we open up his word this year, Lord, help me to love you so much that I take what you've told me in the morning and I apply it throughout the day. Now, don't we need the Holy Spirit's help for that? Man, I do. I need his enablement because there is so much against, there's so much temptation, there's so much evil around us. God, help us with that. May the Lord help us to, um, to love him. If you ask your spouse not to do something and they did exactly opposite, well, it's, it's going to be a problem, Right? But then you say, just to put the cherry on top, you say, I love you. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Some of you, if you follow on Facebook, my wife went to a, a salon. Uh, she typically gets her hair cut at the, uh, at the, at the barber school um, or the, uh, the salon school here. In, and, uh, and so she, she says, this is how I want it to be. Well, she walked out of there, and it wasn't how she wanted it to be. And, uh, you know, it, it, though that person, who, uh, whoever it is, isn't obligated to, to love necessarily. I mean, love your, love your neighbor, but it's not a, an ongoing relationship, if you will. You, you can say, hey, I love you, but if you don't actually do what the person's asking you, it, it, it kind of undermines the statement of love. 
And what a, what a difficult thing that that is when we do that with our Lord. Lord, I read that in your word, told me not to be bitter, told me to forgive, but I'm not going to, but I love you. Ouch. Oh, Lord, help us with that. And we all, we all deal there. The test of our love for the Lord is our obedience to him. Now, another part of this is very important. Our love, our love for God is really the best, and I, I want to say the only motivation for, for obedience and service to him. Now, the reason I say only is because any other motivation is actually going to fall short. It's, it's going to leave us, it's going to leave us stranded. So I say best in the sense that it's the only one that's going to get you there. I say only because it's really the only one that's going to, going to get us there. If you do not have love in, uh, for God, and, and that being the motivation for your obedience and your service to him, here, anywhere in life, throughout life, it's going to leave you short. It's going to, it's going to leave you uh, in, a, in a place that, that you come up dry, like I don't have any way to go on. All right? So the Bible says in 1 John 4 and verse 19, we love him because he first loved us. That's our motivation. His love for me is my motivation to obey him. It's my motivation to serve him with all my heart. It's my motivation to give when I don't have anything else to give. It's my motivation to sacrifice. It's my motivation when I look at the sacrifice he did on my behalf. Oh, I can continue to sacrifice. I can continue to love. And so it is the motivation. Now, here's the, here's the warning that I have for us in, the, in this regard. Any other motivation other than the love of God for me and my love of God in response is going to leave me at a point where I, don't, I, I can't go forward. There's going to come a point where if, if I'm motivated by any selfish ambition, if I'm motivated by a sense of pride, and so therefore I serve or obey him, well, think about this. Think about the prodigal son and his brother. His brother obeyed. His brother didn't take his inheritance and run off. His brother stayed. He was there. But I'm telling you what, when things didn't quite go his way, boy, did he get upset with dad. I've been here this whole time. I've been doing right this whole time. And you don't throw a party for me. Friends, we as Christians can do the exact same thing. We in a church context can do the, uh, the same thing. We've been honoring God. We've been serving him. I've been serving in this role for 20 years and, and this didn't happen for me. And if we're motivated by anything other than the love of God, we'll come up short. We'll get disillusioned. We might come to a snapping point in our life where we just give up on it all. And so I warn us to check our love. Am I reading my Bible because I love Jesus? Or am I just reading my Bible because that's the thing to do? Am I praying because I love Jesus? Do I have a good work ethic at work and a testimony because I love Jesus or just because I want to be seen as, as a good Christian? Do I serve in the church just because I want to be seen or I want the accolades or it's the thing to do or is it because I love Jesus? Friends, what happens in the moments of exhaustion when Satan comes to you and tempts you, if, you're, if you have any other motivation other than love, you'll come up short. You'll get to a point of disillusionment. I have seen this happen time and time and time again with good people, good believers, but they had a wrong motivation. You remember what Paul said? He said it was a love of Christ that constrained him. 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 14, it, it bound me. It drew me in. It's what kept me going. It, it, it gives me the reason to go on. The Bible tells us in Galatians 5.13, we aren't to be consumed with our own liberties. We're not to make that the focus, the liberty that we have in Christ, but by love, serve one another. We're to allow love to be the motivation of our, of our service. So sometimes we can serve God and others motivated by that self-ambition, that, that applause. I, I want to hear that, hey, the boy. We can serve God for the gain that it brings to us or just feeling good. You know, that is a worldly philosophy because the world serves for its own, its own benefit. Even in much of philanthropy, it's, it's much about, look at me. Look at all the money that I'm giving. If we don't give, you know, we, we got to give to Brother Thomas Holloway to go on that, that missions trip coming up later this year. That gift has to be motivated by love. 
Not love for him. Some of you don't even know him. Not love for him as much as love for our God who loves the people he's going to go minister for. You see, everything has to be motivated out of love. Isaac Watts wrote the hymn, When I Survey the Wonders Cross. And it ends with this line, Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. When I look at the love of the cross, I can't help but give everything back in return. You see what a powerful motivator? Fear is a powerful motivator, but love is, a, is the wonderful and most best, uh, that's awful English, uh, the best motivator, right? It is, it's a wonderful motivator, and God has given us. He's called us to that. This is the love that we are to have. This is what God is calling us to be motivated by, and may the Holy Spirit help cultivate that in our hearts today. May we say yes to the Holy Spirit about this today and every day. I told you I'd tell, tell you a little bit about the hymn uh, written by Elizabeth Prentice, More Love, O Christ, to Thee. Uh, later on this, this um, week or today, I'll share a podcast giving the story of her life. I think it's about a 30-minute podcast. It's done by a pastor, and it's entitled Forgotten. The podcast is titled Forgotten, and it takes uh, stories of Christians from long ago that most people don't know anything about, and he shares it in a very powerful way. And, and you'll have to get used to kind of his style and how he shares it. But he share, uh, shares it about this. And so there's a lot more detail in that podcast than, than I'll be able to even share it this morning. But her life was an interesting, uh, interesting and very difficult life. She was the wife of a Presbyterian minister. She spent much of her life uh, as an invalid in the sense scarcely knowing a moment free of pain. She was just so gripped by pain, really very debilitating to her. She was a sickly, uh, sickly lady. She was described uh, uh, as a friend, by a friend, as a very bright little woman with a keen sense of humor who cared more to shine in her own happy household than in uh, a wide circle of society. She wasn't, she wasn't an extrovert. Elizabeth wrote this hymn, More Love, O Christ, to Thee, during a time of great personal sorrow shortly after the death of her two little children within a short period of time. She is said to have been inconsolable for weeks. She wrote in her diary, empty hands, worn out, exhausted body, unutterable longings to flee from a world that has so many sharp experiences. She also wrote in her diary, to love Christ more is the deepest need, the constant cry of my soul out in the wood and on my bed and out driving when I am happy and busy and when I am sad and idle, the whisper keeps going up for more love, more love, more love. She began meditating on the story of Jacob in the Old Testament during, uh, uh, during his grief, noting how God met him in a way she prayed earnestly for a similar experience after leaving a, uh, the graveyard on a very dark night with her husband and and just being so distraught uh, uh, they're remembering uh, the deaths that had visited their household she stayed at home where her husband went on to some pastoral uh, duties and while meditating and praying on the story of jacob that night the words of that hymn more love O christ to thee were born she wrote them out in one sitting one sitting. But she tucked them away inside of her diary, and they were there for 13 years, and no one knew about it. It was a personal prayer. 13 years later, through some means, and I can't remember exactly how, I believe it was her husband that heard her either share it, and he asked to share it with a few close family members. And it, it bled out from there. Soon it was added into a devotional leaflet, and then a man that wrote many of the, the musical uh, portions for Fanny Crosby found this, this poem and set it to music, and it began to be used in hymnals uh, in that time and even to today as a, a way of expressing a prayer to God for more love. From deep, deep tragedy, she writes more love, more love, more love. You think about the words, let sorrow do its work pretty powerful when you think about a lady that's been through that much. More love. She says, this is my greatest need. I don't know what you're going through today. I have a feeling that every one of us have a burden of sorrow of some type. 
It's in those moments that we still should be crying, more love, O Christ, to thee. More love. This is the first and greatest commandment, the first in ranking, loving God with our whole being, with our whole life, everything that we have. We must love him in this way. But that love leads to, that love commanded leads to love shared. And let's just dwell for a few moments on this. I believe Pastor Shaw, if the Lord continues to lead him, will be preaching on this part of this command on Wednesday night. And so I'd encourage you to be a part of this. Love shared. Notice the standard of love here. Jesus tells us in verse number 31, the second is this, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor, how? As thyself. Now, I'm amazed that Jesus puts it down a little bit. He, he sets a standard as ourselves probably so that we can understand it a little bit better. We love ourselves the best, don't we? We coddle ourselves. We always give ourselves the benefit of the doubt. We love ourselves very well. And Jesus tells us to love our neighbor as thyself, to cherish your neighbor as yourself, to care for, to be loyal towards, to sacrifice, to be unconditional in their love as, as yourself. Your neighbor is anyone that God puts in your life. Makes it pretty simple. We're in each other's lives, right? You have physical neighbors in your street that are in your life. You have people that you know that are in your life. The unlovely and the lovely God has put in our life, and he's telling us to love the practical gauge for how we are to love them is to love them as ourselves. There's, there's the standard that Jesus Christ gives. Ultimately, God is the standard, but he, he helps us to understand it in our humanity just a little bit better. Love them as you love yourself. When I love them as I love myself, I'll seek their good over my own. The Bible says in Romans 13 and verse number 8, Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth one another hath fulfilled the law. Do you catch that? Has fulfilled the law. How do I keep all these commandments? Love them. How do I keep all these commandments towards God? Love them. It's all fulfilled in that. In this command, all the law and all the prophets, all the preaching of the prophets are summed up in this one command. Love God. Love thy neighbor as thyself. For this thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other command, it's briefly comprehended in, in this saying, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Romans 13. It's very, very clear. When we love them, we'll, we'll honor God in our relationship with them. We won't hurt them. We won't steal. We won't violate them. We won't cause them to disobey God. We won't cause them to disobey God. Think about that. When I'm in love with God and, lo uh, and loving one another as I ought to, I'm never going to lead them in, away from God. I'm not going to lead them contrary to God's word. 1 Corinthians 13 and 4 says, Charity suffereth long. It, it, it's long-suffering. It is kind. It envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. It's not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own. Is not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. So love, if you'll notice there, love is always governed by truth. Love, true love, true biblical love for God will never excuse sin. It will never coddle sin. And that's something that we have much as the philosophy of our day. That love is love, right? You hear that? Love is love. Even if it violates God's word. Hmm. Hmm. We see that sometimes happening in the Christian community. Just, the, just love them. Love them. Yes, we love them, but love is always governed by truth. Love sometimes is, brother, that's not right. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. There's times where it, it's, it's a confrontation. Aren't you thankful God came looking for Adam? Adam, where are you? Aren't you thankful he looked for you? Aren't you thankful when another brother or sister in Christ comes alongside and says, listen, this wasn't really right. Could we get this taken care of? You know, our, our reaction to that says a lot about our relationship with God and a lot about whether we love God or not. If I love God with all my heart, my reaction to another brother and sister in Christ coming along and saying, hey, where are you? 
where are you on this? Something's not right. We need to get this taken care of. Love does not mean we excuse sin. It says there, it rejoices in the truth. Rejoices in the truth. So God's given us many gauges to, to see what true love is and true love towards a neighbor. Uh, what we're hearing in our day is, is just love people condone their sin. And that is, that is diametrically opposed to Scripture. You realize sin will always destroy a life. And so to coddle sin is going to hurt somebody. True love helps them out of that. Jesus did not coddle us in our sinful condition. Live your 70 years and then die and go to hell. Nope, he came to help us out. He came to rescue us. I praise the Lord for that. The priority of love is this. There is none other commandment greater than these. It's a big deal to God. You see that in verse 31? There's none other commandment greater than these. This is it. So if God just simplified, uh, how do I honor God? Love him. How do I honor him? Love your neighbor. That's pretty great. These are the greatest commandments. He gives these to us. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13 and 13, and now abide faith, hope, charity, these three. But the greatest of these is charity. He didn't say faith. He said charity. Sacrificial, God-like love. Literally, when we fail to love, we're spiritual nothings in the sense he says at the outset of that verse, we can, be, we can, we can have great ability to, to orate, to, to be able to speak the tongues of men and of angels, and if we have not charity, we become a sounding brass and tinkling cymbal. goes on to say uh, we, we can give money to feed the poor, but if we don't have love, we have nothing. We have nothing. All the importance of focusing on this Oh, the importance of, of honoring God with this. I bestow all my goods to feed the poor and give my body to be burned. I, I personally am sacrificing my own physical well-being and have not charity. It profiteth me nothing. A relationship with God is going to change the way that we really relate with fellow man. When I love God as I ought to, boy, it's going to change the way that I love my fellow man. Lord, help us with that. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. If I have experienced the love of Jesus Christ by accepting him and what he did for me, I can love others in such a wonderful and godlike way. Verses 32 through 34, we see this, this scribe says, you nailed it, Jesus. As if Jesus needed his approval, but it's, it's, a, it's good. You know, it's, you know, we, we say amen to the word of God. And uh, he says, so be it. This is right. And he goes on to quote from the Old Testament. He agreed, loving God and loving your neighbor is a summation of the law. And so may God help us to grow in this. I want you to think with me. I think we can all imagine this. Husband and wife out celebrating their anniversary. And uh, they're sitting there at dinner and, you know, exchanging, you know, just talking uh, and just enjoying dinner. And... Uh, and the husband looks at the wife and says, I love you as much as I ever will. Hmm. I love you as much as I ever will. Uh, not a good thing. Why? Because we're supposed to be growing in our love. It wouldn't say very much about us if we, if we said, you know what, my, my love is capped out. I've gotten as far as I can. No, we all understand love, love is to be a growing thing. It needs to be progressing. And you and I, in our relationship with the Lord, we wouldn't want to say to him, I love you as much as I ever will. No, we want to grow in our love. More love to thee, O Christ. More love. Help me to love you more. And so this morning, as we just draw this to a, a time to, to speak with God and respond to him in this way, I wonder if we wouldn't pray something like this. And certainly God's working in your heart and my heart in different ways, but Father, I love you, but I really want to love you more. Would you enable me by your Holy Spirit to demonstrate my love for you through obedience to your commands? Would you help me to demonstrate your love to those that you've placed in my life around me? A prayer, something like that. But our, our, our desire is, Lord, I want to love you more. I want to grow in my love. And so why don't we just bow our heads right now and just 
have a time to pray this morning, right there in your seat this morning. However the Lord's working in your heart, we certainly don't want to have the mindset or the heart, the attitude, I love you as much as I ever will. No, Lord, help me to love you more. And then I need your Holy Spirit's help with that. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To learn more about Grace Baptist or how to have eternal life, visit gracekettering.org. And remember, you are always welcome at Grace Baptist Church.